they're looking at their podcast feeds and they're going, The Global Gale, with your man Philip O'Connor, at this time of the week. What in the name of Jesus is going on here? Well, I'll tell you what's going on here, right? It's International Women's Day. It's the 8th of March. And of course we were going to celebrate Manana Heron. And it may be fairly late in the evening on International Women's Day, but BGAs, we managed to get it done anyway. And I'm delighted to be able to bring you a podcast <coughs> with one of my favourite Irish women. And she's part of a group of my favourite Irish women. And the person you're going to hear from this evening on International Women's Day, that is Amber Barrett of the Republic of Ireland soccer team and of Turbin Potsdam and of that goal against Scotland that brought us to the World Cup finals, which will be taking place in uh, July and August of this year. For the first time, ladies and gentlemen, our senior women's team has made it to the finals of a major tournament. Uh, I've been wanting to talk to Amber for a long time, but of course, Amber is very busy the whole team are very busy they're extremely popular and rightly so everybody wants to talk to them and I'm delighted at long last that they're getting the recognition and the attention that they deserve and they're able to play as full-time professionals and all that right but again it was just one of those things that if you haven't been paying attention lads the World Cup down below in Australia if you're in Australia you know this already right because you've been trying to get tickets for the game in Sydney against uh, Australia their opening game of the tournament there uh, so you'll know that already you have a whole handful of tickets tickets I hope already but for the Irish around the rest of the world lads this is going to be huge right it's going to be absolutely massive forget Italian 90 and 94 all the things the men did that's all in the past right this is for a new generation and it's for the women's team and I can't think of a bunch of women more deserving than Vera and the girls are in the team at the moment and those will be in the squad and those have contributed to getting us there nobody deserves it more than they do so I thought it'd be a great opportunity to start banging the drum for this one a good few months out from it and to um, to sit down with Amber and to have a chat about uh, her life in sport and her time in football and of course that goal against Scotland and that kind of thing right if you're involved in marketing if you're involved in sponsorship if you're involved in media whatsoever and you're looking for coverage get in touch with me because one way or another I'm going to try to get myself down there I'm not going to miss this I've been covering women's football for years and I'm not going to miss this one and I do think there's a huge opportunity media houses will always tell you they've no budget right because they have to pay some fella in a big corner office to make the decisions but they don't know anything about reporting right but if you have a big brand if you're somebody who wants to get involved in this let's do it that way right sponsored content let's go down that route philip at ablana.se is the way to get into that right and if you want to support this podcast the global gale podcast the irish and sweden podcast and all the other things i do uh, you go to patreon.com arrowman in stockholm and you can get it done there right but if you can support me but the most important thing lads the most important thing of all is to be supporting the girls in green this summer when they play in the World Cup. Without further ado, on March the 8th, I am very, very proud to present the one and only Amber Barrett from Milford in County Donegal. Fans standing firm. Now it's O'Sullivan. And there's the run of Barrett. And Barrett's giving herself a chance here. Amber Barrett in on goal. Amber Barrett makes the breakthrough. That was sheer brilliance from Amber Barrett. The first touch to take her clear was absolutely terrific. And Amber Barrett kneels in celebration in honour of the Donegal folk who passed away in the disaster in Chrysler. What a moment for the Donegal girl. It's brilliant from Amber Barrett. We spoke about her coming on and what's the team going to play into her, her strengths to talk about her. She's a perfect example of running off the shoulder of the player. It's what she's good at, it's what she's done her whole career. 
and she's got that moment. It's a great ball through from Denise Sullivan. It's a brilliant, calm, comp uh, composed finish. Absolutely brilliant for Amber Barr, and I'm absolutely delighted for her as well because she's a player who's had to be patient at times throughout this campaign. She got her start against Georgia and again had to wait again, and here we come. Here she is coming on to score one of the most important goals in Irish women's football history. Could we start at the very beginning? What's the first memory you have maybe of kicking a ball in Milford County Donegal? Well, I think the first memory I have is probably with the two, my two brothers. Um, when we were very, very young, we were always out the garden. Dad always had us, the three of us out kicking ball. Um, probably more so Gaelic football at the start, even the really basic things. But um, between that and my, my cousins, who literally all live really, really close to me, every evening we were out in the garden until the parents called us home whatever until it was pitch black and that's probably the earliest memories I have. Amber did you ever feel in any way different you know when you were playing with the boys playing with your dad and that was there girls among your cousins or did you realise in any way because there wouldn't have been a load of clubs that had teams for young girls up in Donegal mm -hmm. at that time or anywhere else in Ireland for that matter? Yeah well I think with the cousins like there was a couple of girls that were involved and I think with that we were the we were the ones that we did stay around then later on playing football but after that their bar couple in school it, there was very very few girls involved in, in the football like even at break times in school like you literally could handpick maybe one or two of them that would have joined in and I think that was the thing that when we went then to play in the local club um, there was only a couple of girls that played and then obviously when they changed the rules I think it used to be up until under 14 you could play with the boys team but the year I was there they changed it to under 12s and I thought that was a big that was a big letdown for me because I really enjoyed playing with the boys because, you know, I did quite well against the boys, but also it's that little bit more, you know, they treat you they treat you like a boy like they do, which was was the best thing about it as well. Um, but yeah, you could tell that there there wasn't that many girls knocking around. It's fair to say. Was it was that hard? Because you know, I remember Carleen Grom Hansen, who plays for Barcelona in Norway. I remember talking to her about this, and she was playing with boys all the way up and that. And she kind of used to get annoyed on occasion that there weren't girls who were as interested in playing the sport as you were. Because, like, even if there were girls who were interested in football, maybe it didn't extend to sticking on a pair of boots and joining a club and training twice a week. Because, and especially those of you who turned pro later on, then you know, you were kind of obsessed with the game. Yeah, I suppose the biggest thing, discrepancy I would have had with it was that some girls didn't want to do it because of the fear of getting hurt. And I think that's where I always had the the small little, like, you know, you're not going to get hurt if you're just playing and you're enjoying it. Like, they're not, nobody's setting out their intention to hurt anybody, like, even at that age. Um, but every now and again, like, getting a little kick didn't get, did nobody any harm. Like, and I think until they got, you know, they got older, there's definitely friends I had who played football later on who do, who said now that they wish they had started earlier. They, they wish they hadn't have had that, oh, the boys will just hurt me, you know. And, and maybe that doesn't just come from them, maybe that comes from the parents as well. But I think that attitude is something that, you know, for a while was there. It definitely wasn't as, as frequent as it might be now with younger, with younger, you know, people growing up now that that idea that they, they do, there's a lot of idea to separate boys and girls. Whereas for me, I think the best thing is young girls can play with young, with young fellas. And I said all the way up um, to, to me, I think it's the best thing because it's, it's where they'll learn the most. Were they nice to you in the beginning? And did that change when they realised, the young fellas, how good a footballer you were? All of a sudden, were they starting to tackle you that little bit harder or trying to trip you up or that? Do you know what? I can, I can distinctly remember when we used to play um, 
Bonnegie was one of the teams we used to play and there was a fella who played for Bonnegie and honestly anytime we played them honestly he took me out every single game and I mean took me out took me out like took the legs underneath me and but it's funny though because I remember a couple of, not even that long ago maybe two or three years ago that he he tweeted somebody and he made a comment about it he goes I used to try and take her out of it he said because I used to be running after her for the rest of the game so this was my only way to try and slow her down and it's funny because in that mindset you would never I would never thought think at the time that's why he's doing it I just thought Jesus he's a big problem with me he's trying to kill me all the time but in a way Philip I think those little things they, they toughen you up a wee bit like that's that you know that appreciation is there and I think I definitely felt from the boys 100% I felt respected by them because I also think that you know they realized that I was wasn't just a girl wanting to play football they realized I was a very good girl player that was able to keep up with them and I think when you get that respect from them I think it, it goes a long way it's amazing to hear all those years later that all of a sudden when you're playing for the Ireland team and things are going well and then you hear the other side of the story because it is a mark of respect in a way if, if some lad is trying to clean you out and sort of put you in your place and um, how big a part of your life was Gaelic football at that time because I'm assuming there was a lot more Gaelic footballers in the parish maybe than soccer players among the girls was there? Well everybody that I played predominantly soccer with we all played Gaelic together as well um, I think with the girls as well, like the soccer, the Gaelic started to kind of take centre stage because Milford got a women's team. And with that, then the underage teams came because we had enough players underage to start it up. And I think that there with that, you know, as soon as you had that more people kind of getting involved, that's when the interest grew. And that's when more people were coming and saying, Jesus, I want to get involved in that. And, you know, I think looking back now, I said it was it was the people that were turning up you know, at school in break times, it was the same girls who then as soon as there was word, there was a team starting, were the first to put their hands up. But then suddenly the news started to filter through and then suddenly there was more girls joining in at break times at school because there was a local team. And I think with that there was just, it just, it did grow. It really did grow at a really healthy rate. And it was something that, you know, you never expected at the time. But I think as soon as Mulford got a Gaelic women's team, you know, I think there was so much influence of Gaelic football and like my family, like as a huge GA family that I was very, very lucky to be involved in that. But also, you know, my dad was also very competitive in the sense of he didn't, mum and dad never wanted me just to play one sport. They wanted me to get stuck in because they seen I enjoyed, you know, also I was heavily involved in athletics as well. And they loved that. And to be honest with you, and I, I found this later down the line, I think it was Kira Grant told me this, that the under 17 team that went to the World Cup, I think um, Dave Bell and Dave Connell talked afterwards and they said that the GA players that they had in the squad were the fittest players they had in the team mm. because the GA stood to them and you could see that toughness was about them. And um, I think it goes a long way. And I think it's similar in the Irish team that we have now. You know, there's a lot of the girls that, you know, very good players that have also a strong background in GEA. So I definitely think they complement each other as well. Do you find that there's a lot of transferable skills there, Amber? And one of the things I'm thinking about, especially when you were playing centre forward, if you were playing as the number nine for Ireland, right? The way you distribute your weight, the way you hold somebody off and that kind of thing. I always found that when I was playing soccer, I had a huge benefit of having played Gaelic mm-hmm. football because you're waiting for that shoulder. You're waiting for that heavy challenge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I came to playing football in Sweden, it was so easy because you were used to getting battered off the field by fellas in Dublin. Like, Yeah, and I think that's something that, again, I think is very, very grateful for because I do believe it really did toughen you up that way. And, you know, not just, you know, yeah, holding the ball up and holding players up, but even the, 
you know, when I got involved with county football, you know, there was a very big influence on move the ball, move the ball, move the ball, give it and go, give it and go. And then suddenly then you get older. And in soccer, it's not like, right, I'm going to run the length of the pitch here and stick it in the net. Suddenly then you're playing with players who are good enough that you can give it, go, give it, go. And then suddenly you're creating these little small triangles and opportunities. But I think I would have learned that before in Gaelic rather than soccer, which is now it's all they talk about is the little triangles, create triangles all over the pitch, you know, pass and move, and move the opposition and things like that. And I think you can see that it's they definitely do complement each other. And it's the same when you when you finish, like when you're going through on goal with Gaelic football, they always say hard and low. And it's the same in soccer. They say aim low to the bottom corner and you'll always score. So I think in those in terms of that, those skills are definitely transferable. What kind of a Gaelic footballer were you? Because you mentioned the family influence there and you're always going to have, you know, your brothers and your mom and dad maybe on the sideline, this kind of thing cheering you on. Were you very competitive? Were you fiery? Were you laid back? Were you, you know, team first player? Were you a score first player? I'd say probably being completely honest, I probably was a score first player. I think when I got older playing with County, you know, you realize it's not it's not a one woman show. And I think you learn that the hard way. But also, I think there was an expectation with me in the club that, you know, I was the scoring forward. I was one that re- I was very reliable in that sense. Philip, regardless of what I do in my life, whether it's a, a, a it could be a community game, it could be it could be a charity run. I always take that competitive side into things. And that's something I'll never, never lose. I think as soon as I lose that is the day I need to stop getting involved in sports because I think it's so important to have that that little burning desire in your belly to win games and to be competitive and to win and make tackles to make blocks to score points score goals and that feeling of doing that is, is fantastic um but I think one thing that I took from my family from dad always said to us you know about the importance of using both feet kick with both feet hand pass with both hands and I think now that I would be quite comfortable on my left foot, even in soccer, you know, yes, it's not as good as my right, but I definitely think that I'm comfortable on it because from a young age, it was drilled on use both feet, use both feet. And like you look at professional men's footballers, some of them can't use both feet very well. And it's just, it's just one of those things that I think I'm lucky to have that, that, that attribute with me. I think uh, the latest generation or your generation of Gaelic footballers in particular, it was drummed into us from an early age. My dad always used to say to me that if you can only use one foot, you're only half a footballer. And, you know, it was almost like, you know, shame in it. You know, just take it with your left foot. It doesn't matter if, you know, if it's, as you say, if it's not as strong. But in doing that, rather than having to turn back onto your right foot the whole time, you know, the, the chance might be gone, right? Now, you've hinted at it hard and low into the corner. You've talked about your left foot there, right? I have to ask you about the goal against Scotland. And I'd like to start with your left foot. The first touch when you got that ball from Denise O'Sullivan, was that the best touch you've ever had in your professional career with your left foot? Because it just put you away with the goalkeeper. I think, to be honest, Philip, it's the best touch I've ever had, regardless of foot. I think it, it I, I can't, you know, I can't say it was intentional because it wasn't intentional to be as good as it was. I can I can say that. If I, as long as it was getting in front of myself, I would have been happy. But when I look back on it now and be, you know, cr- critical of the of the goal, it was perfect because it got me behind the defender and it also got the ball out of my feet. And after that, there then it's a foot race. And then I would always back myself in that situation. It also got you on a line that the defender didn't have a clear path to the ball. 
And that often makes them switch off because in a couple of seconds, you're going to be in the penalty box. And that gives you as the striker then time. You did it hard. Now, I think, you know, you know, and if there's one negative thing I can say, I think you've undersold this goal. I don't think you give yourself credit for how good it was, that touch and that finish. I've seen Marta do that loads of times for Brazil and here in Sweden as well. What were you thinking when you're taking that first touch and you go, hang on a second, I just put myself in here. It's nil-nil. Scotland have missed the penalty. If I score this, we might be going to the World Cup. Or was it just, right, I've got to put this in the back of the net? Yeah, like the first part you said, like that never, none of that came into my head. I think since I've spoke about the spoke about the goal, one thing I said is in my mind, it did actually go quite blank. Bar our goal, goalkeeping coach said to us on the build-up to the game about their goalkeeper, and he said she's really hesitant to come off her line. And I think that's the only thought that crossed my mind is when I got, when the first touch came so well out in front in my head, I was like, take another one, take it in again. And you can see when I take the second touch, she still hasn't began to move. It's only when I take the second touch does she begin to move. And I think as soon as I seen her coming towards me, it's, you know, another thing they always say to you in the striker, especially when you're going one on one, the keeper, don't wait till the keeper set. Um, the big toe now, that was completely that came out of nowhere that was never an intention and you know it was one of the, I've done it in a friendly game here a few weeks ago and the ball went you know nearly went out for a throw and it went that far away but after that there I think wait don't wait for the goalkeeper to get set and they're just small little things but you have to remember Philip this happened in a two or three second period um so I, I can't you know say there was this unbelievable clear train of thought with it the only thing I was thinking about was what um, Jan Willem had said to us during the week about their goalkeeper and taking that second touch in to get a wee bit closer to goal. Mm. Somebody once asked Alan Shearer, what goes through your mind in a moment like that? And he said, absolutely nothing. You know, it's just, you just do it. It's instinct. It's that thing. And yet I'd imagine that the certain goals that you've scored, and even this one, you can remember absolutely everything about it, you know, so there's some sort of process going on there. But in the moment after that, Amber, because I mean, that was the, the most extraordinary part of it was that uh, what had happened in Chrysler. And did you feel any joy at that moment? Or did you just feel, you know, that this was a moment of tribute to the people in your community that have been lost so yeah so Philip one of the things I've said after the after the game and after the goal was you know when you score a goal there is an instant rush when the ball hits the back of net that you get you get it internally like and it's it's something I can't describe to you unless you've been in that position um not just for an international game but scoring a goal in any game I get some games it's a small rush and then other games obviously in this magnitude it's a little bit bigger but the rush still came but then as soon as I kind of wheeled away, it it, it nearly just the, the, the switch went. And I think because subconsciously I'd always been thinking about, you know, home and what had happened a few days earlier. And, you know, even on the morning of the game, I was speaking to my mother and said, like, you know, I, I don't have a mindset for an international playoff tonight. And your mum was like, you know, you have to try and change that. And I think going into the game, I'm not saying in any way I wasn't focused on it. But I, I wasn't clear-minded, focused on one thing. You know, Chrysler was also in the back of my head, as it, as it would be expected to be. So, yeah, it's not, again, it's not something that I was thinking of when I was running up to the ball. Oh, you know, if you score, you have to dedicate this. I think it was nearly just a natural reaction to the moment. Um, because it's like I've said, it's it was a brilliant moment for me and for the team. But on the other side, there's there's a families families in another place going through a horrendous time, and your mind sometimes just does that automatic switch. And in in a way, I'm I'm grateful it did as well. 
Um, the reaction to your reaction, so to speak, Amber, it was a great moment. It was kind of like when Kelly Harrington walked in uh, carrying the flag for Ireland at the Olympics and the whole team bowed. And Jesus, even now that just hits me right, right there, you know, and the same thing there that everybody had a reaction to your reaction. Everybody felt that they were Amber Barrett, that they had like you know, a hotline to you. They felt that thing. Did that surprise you that, you know, there was such a big reaction to how you acted in that moment? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Um, because again, it's not something it's it, for me, it was such a minor thing to do, like in terms of, of course, you recognize the armband, you recognize the significance of it. But, you know, in you know, I was inundated, as you can imagine, with messages after the game, but the majority of them didn't, you know, were irrespective of the goal. You know, the majority of them came for the celebration itself. And then obviously then the interview with RT after and it's funny how in that those moments, you know, what Irish people really value. And I think, you know, my dad said to me that I think a friend of his at work had mentioned, he said it was the poignancy and the eloquency of that moment, you know, when someone's just done something historical that they can actually think about something else. But to be honest with you, Philip, I think that's exactly what our team epitomizes you know we're never it's never a self it's a selfless thing that we do to play to play football but you know we do it every day because of not just us for now we do it to clear paths for people in the next 5 10 15 20 years and I think the fact that our team and you know I always talk about it after but my reaction to the goal and then you have Katie's reaction directly coming to me. And I, I can't emphasize how important that was for me afterwards to see that, because, again, that's that's your team captain, that's your leader. And just to and Katie has no you know connection to Donegal in terms of what happened up there or anything. But again, her moment wasn't right. Let's, you know, big, crazy celebration. It was just really calm and respect my reaction to it and something like that there. You can't. You can't teach people that. That's just a natural leadership quality that she has and it epitomises our team as well. It seemed to me like you were representing Creesa and Donegal and, and Katie in that moment represented the rest of us in Ireland in being there with you. And it was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in sport. Um, what else is it, Amber, that, that makes this team? Who is this team? Because there's an awful lot of people, you know, for better or worse, who are only getting on the bandwagon of the girls in green now, despite all the great things that you've done and, and the near misses over the last few years. Now we're in the World Cup. How would you describe this team to somebody who's never seen them play before? I think the most important thing I would say, first thing would be selfless. I said completely dedicated to a cause greater than their own. Um, hardworking dedicated trustworthy um they epitomize everything that it means to be and it's it's kind of funny on international women's day that you, you asked me this question because they are what i would say as such strong characters on and off the field um and not just you know with, with the snare that happened that week in in Chrysler, but there's been so many issues that have come up personal issues with people and they've just been absolutely brilliant how they just you know it's just that little conversation and even do you know what it's even sometimes they turn to a, a lightheartedness about something and they just suddenly they put somebody at ease um i think when you ask any new player that's come into camp you know at the start of camp you know obviously the nerves you're coming into camp it's always a nervous experience young or old regardless and at the end of it you know that's one thing they said and Aoife Mannion said it to me last camp she said she goes, the girls are so welcoming. And she goes, they're just, you can see that they're just happy for you to be here. And there's no like egos of, oh, Jesus, she's here. She's going to take my, there's none of that. It's just like, look, she's here. You're very welcome. 
we all get the same chance of training and we're all going to go out and enjoy it and I think that's what it is and I have to as well comment Philip the intelligence they are ferociously intelligent everybody has a level of intelligence that is all beyond the next person like you know you have a team of doctors there like you have more than you have, you have Harriet Scott is a doctor Keir Grant is a doctor um I think Katie thinks sometimes she's a doctor but she's not um but you have this huge level of intelligence and it's so well reciprocated with the rest of us because you're just learning from from every single person that's beside you is there a lot of crack in the camp because you know there's previously Ireland would have been looked at you know as oh we're along for the ride we're having a bit of gas and a few drinks here and there a bit of a sing song and that kind of thing is there a lot of that or do you manage to strike a balance between that and the serious and complicated business of modern international football no, I think we've we've really really have have struck the balance, and I think we've got it absolutely down to a T. Um, and it's I don't know if it's been if it's been publicly talked about a lot, but we played the night before we played Scotland. Obviously, you have the I think Katie and Vera have to go for the last you know the big the press conference, yeah, press conference and the interviews and all that there. So all that there. So anyway, we had to come to training, but things had been a little bit delayed, so we actually had to wait an extra I think fifteen. 15 to half an hour in the in the change room so we're all waiting around and next thing I think it's Nephi says right we'll get we'll get um put a bin on that end and we'll line up on either side facing someone we're going to head header the ball over and back try and get it in the bin this is on the eve of arguably the biggest game in Irish women's football and honestly if you'd have been standing outside you would have thought that there was a there was a party going on because the we were just in raptures the noise the atmosphere the intensity of because we got it a couple of times really really close and you're talking like 20 25 players headering the ball over and back to get it into this small little bin and honestly after that there i don't think there was a doubt in anybody's mind that we were going to win the next day because you know and vera always says that training we did in Hamden Park was the best training we've done and that was what was happening 20 minutes before so we we know how to strike the balance we know how to yeah we're focused we're ready but here look we've just had a bit of a laugh we've had a bit of crack and we've managed to turn it and I I honestly think it's it's one of the reasons why we've been really successful you mentioned, um, I was going to say Katie Taylor, you mentioned Katie McCabe now, she'd kill me for saying that. Um, she's one of the leaders in the team, the most obvious leader in the team, really slick media performer, brilliant when she goes up at the press conference and says all the right things. But you can't have a football team with, you know, somewhere between 23 and 26 players in it and only have one leader. Who would you point to as the other leaders in the dressing room? And what's your own role in that? Are you there to be to lead the younger girls or are you there to sort of, you know, to, to have a quiet word in somebody's ear or to lead by example i suppose like the leader the leader question comes in all different ways like you have your i think you have your standout you have your diane colwell's louise quinn's katie mccabe's denise o'sullivan's i think you look look ultimately look at them nifahi as well you look at them players like they're the players that that you know ultimately they're the they're the names on everybody's lips when it comes to leaders but I think recently I would definitely have to also put Courtney Brosnan in that in that uh, bracket. And I don't think, you know, off the field, Courtney's not the player that's rounding everybody up and getting everybody into the bus on time. But her performances are leadership quality. She's known in the Scotland game. She knew exactly when to start killing that time. And she'd done it perfectly, enough to not get booked, but enough to kill the momentum every time Scotland built. And that that is leadership qualities. You have Anya O'Gorman as well, who's, you know, 100 and plus caps now and there's just you know again all different ways of being leaders I think in a in a personal way 
I think I would also see myself as a leader in a different way. Um, obviously, when, when we're in training, we usually do the starting 11 versus the, the team, the subs team. And I think that I in, in that instance, when I'm not playing, I would like, you know, to really say to the guys, you know, look, you know, we're, we're not in the 11, but we're going to make sure in this training that we do it so well. The viewers like, Jesus, I have to have a look at some of them girls because they've made such a marker. And I think another thing I take pride in is that I try and I think always welcome anybody that's come in for the first time and, you know, put them at ease and, you know, no, there's no stupid questions. If you need anything asked, there's loads of people that are willing to help. But, you know, I'm not just the only one. There's a lot of players that I would also point point in that but to be honest with you I think everybody has some form of leadership quality um we have some of them that have to be loud and proud we also have the little quiet leaders who just go about their business effectively I think Harriet Scott's a prime example of that she's just always consistent always consistently good same with Jamie Finn always consistently good um and then you've Heather Payne who's not much of a she's not a loud person but you see her work rate and for me that sets the standard of everybody because I'm like Heather's after running 12 and a half K, you know, that's what, you know, if you're going to do that role, this is what Heather does. You have to do equally. And for me, for my position, I look at Heather in that sense of, you know, I really need to push myself to get to that level because that's what's expected. Um, but there's so many, honestly, Philip, we're, we're unindated with leaders, to be honest with you. Heather's absolutely phenomenal I get tired just watching her play football because like she just runs and runs and never stops and you know a player you look at something you go that's a hopeless case there and by Jesus she'll, she'll either get it or she'll almost get it you know um, Karen Duggan I think the other day was saying that she'd like to see a sort of a slightly more tactically expansive Ireland I'm not 100% sure I'd agree with her after seeing the games against Sweden both here in, in, in Sweden and in Gothenburg that time and in Dublin how hard is it to strike a balance now because we're going up against the Olympic champions in Canada the host nations of Australia, extremely strong Nigeria side. What's the mood in the camp now? Do you want to get the ball down, play it, or are we going to have to be as compact and, and as organised as we have been in qualifying? Well, I think ultimately, Philip, one of the things we had to go back to, you know, we went on a run of losing seven or eight games in a row. And I think ultimately we just had to go back to being defensively solid. And I think we spent a little bit of time on getting that compactness back, getting that being difficult to play against, being difficult to break down side of us that we had. And we probably lost a wee bit of it in those games because confidence and everything, because it's, it's a natural thing. Suddenly we get it back, you know, and I think it was you that done the, the article that said it was the first game in 11 years that Sweden had dropped points at home. That's correct. And you know, we, you know, yes, we had the free kick, but we also had a couple of other opportunities where we caught them on the break, where, you know, we could have got something else out of it. Yes, of course, it was a backs against the wall. But when we're defensively solid, the rest of it is really possible. And I think, you know, at the same time, when you've got something that's got you this far and it's worked so well, you know, do we necessarily need to change it? You know, not so drastically. But I know Vera is always trying to build on it. And like the last camp that we had there, you know, we spent a lot of time trying to work on that mid to attacking frame that, you know, we're trying to improve it all the time because we know, you know, as we said against Scotland, Vera said, you know, we're only going to need one or two chances. But, you know, if you get five or six, your chances of winning are that little bit more increased because you've created more. And the thing is, we have the quality of players to do it. Um, so I think it is just a matter of time before everything comes together in that regard. 
The ball, of course, that Denise O'Sullivan played to you for that goal against Scotland was one of those perfect things where the two of you seem to be on exactly the same wavelength. Is that the way throughout the team now that when Katie McCabe gets the ball, do you have to think or can you just go? Do you know what's going to happen with her, with Heather, with, with Denise, when, with the creative players when they get on the ball? Or do you find yourself having to check your run a little bit and say, I don't know what she's going to do here? No, I think everybody's definitely on the same page. And I think that any player that plays in that position, especially the, the forward role, you know, Vera has it very well drilled into what she wants. And she also has it drilled into the likes of Katie. When Katie gets the ball in those positions, what should does what does she want Katie to do? And with that, then that means that, okay, Amber has to be in the right position. So there's been times, of course, in games when Katie's played a brilliant ball up the line and maybe Heather's not reacted to it because maybe Heather was on a different wavelength. That's natural. That's football. But I think in general, you know, I would be fairly confident if you, if me and Vera sat down tonight and talked about the role of the centre-back, I'd be able to tell her because we've all sat through the meetings, we've all sat through the detail that's gone on. And I think in that in that regard, you know, everybody is, is singing off the same hymn sheet. There's a huge apparatus around a Women's World Cup, right? They have, you know, a media day a few weeks beforehand. You all get your pictures taken and that kind of thing. And all these things are turned up in the TV broadcast. You do social media stuff in the bank for, for FIFA, this kind of thing. Are you all prepared for that? Have you all spoken to, you know, the girls that you play with in Germany or the girls that maybe Katie plays with, Stina Blackstainius at Arsenal? Do you know what's waiting for you now, you know, if you're in the squad and you get to Australia? Do you know what's, what's waiting around the corner, Amber? Well, Gareth has tried to have that conversation with us. He's tried to, you know, emphasise what's going on. And I think we haven't really taken it fully on board yet because, of course, the closer to the time it gets, it's going to be absolutely bedlam. Um, personally, I haven't had those discussions with anybody um, about what to expect. I'm sure Katie and those that have played, are playing or played with players that, you know, have experienced a World Cup, what it's going to be like. But, yeah, I think it's, it's going to be one of those experiences that you just until you're there you know it's it's just going to hit you like a ton of bricks like really it is because again 32 countries in the world are going to be in this one place for you know a major tournament and I still sometimes fill up the fact that Ireland's there it's still just it's just an unbelievable thing to be to to be able to say out loud is it something you can look forward to, Amber? And again, you know, nobody's saying that this player's going to be in the squad or this player's not going to be in the squad, but those who got us there are likely to be there. Is it something that you can look forward to or is there a certain amount of trepidation just because we haven't been there before? I, I think you can look forward to it. I think it's definitely still a case of, you know, we still have a lot of football personally to play, like, you know, with um, with our leagues and everything. Like, most of us don't finish until the end of May. So, like, we're still going to have that in the back of our minds that we have to be focusing on the club football that situation that we're in now. But I think, Philip, if you're not thinking of Australia in June and July, I think, you know, you probably shouldn't be, shouldn't be putting yourself in because I think everybody, I think even people playing that haven't been called into the team you know, should be having it on their mindset because this is, you know, 20, 23 to 26 players are going to have the opportunity to represent Ireland in the World Cup. And I think everybody in Ireland will want to be one of those 26, you know, young and old. So I think in that regard, you have to enjoy it. You have to enjoy the build-up. You have to enjoy the work you're doing now for it. You have to enjoy the, maybe the extra runs, the extra sessions you're doing to get yourself ready for it. And then just see seeing where it goes in the summer. And yeah, it's something you have to be looking forward to. 
what do you expect the reaction to be? Because we've seen over the last few years, I remember talking to Pia Sundhage in 2019, just before the World Cup in France. And I asked her if this was going to be a sort of a watershed moment for women's football. And she said, if I had a fiver for every time I thought it was going to be a, a, a watershed moment for women's football, she said, I'd have a good bit of money saved up by now. But now we've seen England win the Euros. We've seen a huge amount of people, even in Ireland, when we weren't at the women's Euros, watching it. I've never had as many people contacting me on social media. I'm sure the same was for you what do you expect Ireland to be like do you expect it to be like Italia 90 USA 94 when we were at the World Cup in 2002 the Euros in 2016 is there going to be the same buzz about it has women's football really broken through now Amber well I think it's going to be difficult to compare it to something like like the World Cup you've just mentioned and I think we're definitely on the right path we're definitely you know complete always pushing the boundaries and you know more and more and more people are getting interested and following and I think you look at the the success of the Scotland game I think there definitely has been a really positive increase in support and interest for that I think there will be a buzz I think the buzz will be you know it will be firmly set in Ireland because again if anybody has anything to get interested in right now women's sport is the best thing because it's just going to keep getting better and better and I think between now and then we know we have a couple of very very exciting games coming up I think we have five games before we fly and two of them are going to be in Dublin. And, you know, I'm confident that we'd be able to sell out Tala for the two games. You know, that would be the aim. And I hope that's what happens because that would really, I think that would set the ball in motion and that really would get the, the support train going as well. August 20th, I think, is the final down below in Australia. If I was to call you on August 21st, what would success be for Ireland at this World Cup? Are we a success, which I partially believe, just because we qualified for the first time? Or what do you and the girls and the team and Vera and everybody around you want to achieve there? Well, I hope if you're calling me on April, on August 21st, Philip, I have a horrendous hangover. Would be That would be a very nice way to start it. Um, but I think in general, I think ultimately the first goal that we have is to get over the first game against Australia because that is going to be, you know, it's going to be ferociously difficult. It's the home nation in now a doubled capacity stadium with 82,000 people and it's, you know, very confident it's going to sell out. And then after that, I think, you know, we're confident, we're Irish, you know, we're always going to have the underdog tag. I think ultimately we want to get ourselves out of the group. And then after that there, you have to just take it one game at a time. And I think if you look at the recent World Cup with the men's, you know, nobody would have said Morocco would be getting to a semi-final. You know, nobody would have put them down. And do you know what? In it's it's you know, it's competitive football and it's also pressure football. World Cups are pressure games. And I think with that, anything's possible. Amber, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor. And I can't wait to be following you this summer down below in Australia and New Zealand. But for now, thanks so much for talking to me and on International Women's Day, no less. Thanks very much, Philip. Always a pleasure. How does it feel? Tony, you know I talk a lot, but right now I don't have anything to say. That was the longest 20 minutes of my life, I won't lie to you, when that goal went in. I kept checking the clock every 30 seconds and it seemed like 10 seconds were going, but I've said it 100 times since the game finished. I do not know what we've just done. I cannot believe it. But seeing the people that have travelled here, seeing the people at home that are watching, the people that have turned out to watch all of our games, this is for every single one of them. This is for all the young kids growing up. Now they have something to dream for. And I'm so happy to be part of this team. 
Here you go. Amber Barrett talking to me good friend Tony O'Donoghue from RTE in the wake of scoring the goal that has brought Ireland to the Women's World Cup Finals for the very first time, lads. Get out there now. Get the new jerseys. I think O'Neill's are doing the new jerseys and everything for this tournament. It's all ahead of her. I can't wait to see how they react to this, right? Because as I was saying to Amber during the chat there, right? I've been there with the Norwegian team. I've worked with them twice at major tournaments. I've covered major tournaments in women's football for a long, long time, stretching back maybe 10 years or more and it's a whole different ball game when you're playing among the absolute elite in women's football that elite has been quite small because of you know resources and access to pitches and access to leagues and that kind of thing but the game really is exploding now and there's an amazing experience awaiting not just for the Irish women but for us as, as fans and as football lovers and as lovers of Irish sport and have you ever seen a better bunch of ambassadors for Ireland and for Irish sport than these women they're just tremendous they're so well spoken and you can bang on about you know the song in the dressing room and all that other bollocks that people were going on with right you can take that single thing out of context and you know you can say bad things about, but even that they handled with grace and good style and good humour and they just let it pass them by. As I say, just a wonderful bunch of women who are uh, well, well worth your support. As I say, I'm going to try and be there and if you can try and be there, but at least get your television on, tell your kids, tell your neighbours, tell your family that they should be watching the girls in green this summer. Lads, it won't be long now. Another podcast coming up at the weekend and it's an absolute dinger, I can tell you. Uh, Arrowman in Stockholm at patreon.com, Arrowman in Stockholm if you want to support the podcast and if you know of any brand or any marketing manager, any billionaire that wants to get involved and send me down to Australia, should I get in touch, lads? Because I'll tell you something for nothing. We've been on this hype train of the Irish women's team for a long time and we're going all the way to Australia with it. Have a great week. Uh, have a great few days because I'll be back again very, very soon with another episode of the Global Gale podcast. Mind yourselves. Good luck.